Stampod Productions. Hello, I'm Sani Rajavadjala and you're listening to On Your Bike. The Hulk of Slovakia will smash the road no more. After 1,074 days of racing, 121 career wins and seven Tour de France green jerseys, three-time world champion Peter Sagan has said farewell to road racing. Once seen as the man who could only manage to be second best, Sagan well and truly took over cycling, winning titles and worldwide acclaim for his style, showmanship and sprinting prowess. How will pro cycling remember Peter Sagan and will we ever see his like again? All that and more as we celebrate Sagan here on On Your Bike. Katie Magic of RightBikeRepeat.com and On Your Bike. Let's start at the end. Tell us about Peter Sagan's final race. Hi, yeah. So the Tour de Vendée was Peter Sagan's final race in the Pro Peloton. Uh, it's a race that takes place in the west of France and it had a, a brilliant lineup actually with some really, really strong riders and it produced a really exciting finish. Uh, Arnaud Demar was the winner overall. Um, actually a long-time rival of Peter Sagan's. The two sprinted against one another many times in Sagan's career and the man himself managed to finish ninth. So a top 10 finish on his final race will be something that he'll be really pleased with, I think, especially given his form this season hasn't been what it once was or what he would have hoped for. So a nice finish for him on his final day in the peloton. And our fellow co-presenter, Red Walters, was competing alongside Sagan. He actually passed up the opportunity to say hello. Um, I'm hoping they'll get another chance again in the future. Just can't believe he didn't get a chance to say ahoy to the Slovakian. Peter Sagan, he's like my first idol in cycling. The first guy I really looked up to and said, I want to be that guy. Uh, you know, his racing style just is awesome. So yeah, to be in his last race was pretty spectacular. It was something like, I think, 210 kilometers, pretty hilly near the west coast of France. Not that there's many other coasts in France, <laughs> the west side, the west side of France. I was pretty happy. I ended up coming 25th in the end, so just in the UCI points, which isn't great, but it's a 1.1 UCI level race, which, to you guys who don't know, that's the third tier of racing. There's the point World Tour, point Pro, and then point one, and then below that's point two. It's Red Walters, the national mm-hmm. champion of uh, Granada. So he's great up jersey. towards the, the front. And uh, unfortunately, there was a crash with four kilometers to go. It split the group in half. I thought I could get through, but sadly, a guy just rolled into my path. So I had to slow down, or I had to stop for that. But I managed to win the bunch sprint for 25th. So that was a, a nice little uh, bonus on what could have been quite a, a disappointing end to the race. Racing with Peter Sagan, pretty special. I didn't get a chance to chat to him, or well, I probably could have at some point, but I guess maybe I was too shy. Uh, my teammate was actually next to him in the neutral and they had a little chat for five, 10 minutes. So that was, that was pretty awesome for him. Our man with number 14, Peter Sagan, 
racing on the wheel of Sandy Dujardin. He's moving up now with number 14 is Peter Sagan as the sprint is open by Bram Belter of Groupama FDG. On its wheel, we have Paul Penouet. Peter Sagan with final meters there over his shoulder, glancing over his shoulder. And passing him now is Demar. Demar seems to be very late with his sprint right now, but we still have that gradient. He has to get past Paul Penouet. Arnaud Demar through the middle. Arnaud Demar, and it's a win by Arnaud Demar for Akea Samsik. Another top 10 place for Peter Sagan, one of his many, many in his career, but not a win for him. The win goes to... So I started watching cycling right at the end of 2015, which was uh, just about when the World Champs uh, was running. And uh, this was his first World Champs win. And I remember this was also the first race I ever watched pretty much from start to finish on a Sunday. Um, and I remember I knew his name before because the commentators were talking about him. He'd had a lot of second place that year and I was like, oh, he's pretty cool. But I don't think he'll win because, you know, he keeps getting second. And then that final attack in uh, Richmond, oh, it was, I've watched that and, you know, YouTube clips, you know, like montages and, and edits of it. And it's just like, just the coolest video. And I probably watched it, you know, dozens of times. Yeah, he's probably one of the biggest pro cycling inspirations that I've had at least at the very start of my career in the first few years. He was uh, the number one guy. So yeah, it, it was pretty special to race with him. So that's our very own pro racer, Red Walters there. More coming from him in the future or with some On Your Bike episodes. He's a very busy man at the moment, very busy. Um, now, Katie, Sagan isn't completely retiring just yet, is he? No, he's retiring from the road, uh, but he has still got off-road ambitions. He's ridden mountain bike races recently. Uh, he was at the World Championships this year. And he does hope to qualify for Paris 2024 for the Olympics. Uh, it could be tricky because he hasn't ridden many qualifying races as yet. So I'm not sure quite how he's going to go about getting there. Um, we'll see how that comes about. But that is his ambition. And yeah, knowing Sagan will see him at off-road events. I can't visualise him hanging up his cleats just yet. Yeah, and I don't think he's one that will be um, easily stopped. Um, and Red, we heard there talking about how Sagan captured his imagination as a youngster, kind of really um, brought racing to life for him. Uh, but let's go back to the beginnings of Sagan himself. So born in 1990 in uh, Zelinia in Western Slovakia, which, by the way, is the European capital of culture for 2026. Uh, but he's the youngest of three brothers and a sister. Uh, according to his Wikipedia, he was brought up by a sister uh, as his parents ran a grocery shop. And he's actually got an older brother who was a professional as well in Juraj Sagan. Um, but he started age nine for a local team riding mountain bike and road races kind of stood out because he'd wear t-shirt and trainers the race um and a really interesting bit of detail i'm not sure exactly what happened here but apparently as a junior he once mistakenly sold his bike before a race his sponsor couldn't get him a new one his time in time um so he rode on the supermarket bought bike of his sister and won the junior race so clearly a lot of talent uh, and as a junior mountain bike rider he was pretty good too Yes, he was champion in mountain biking as a junior and cyclocross. So off-road, he built up his 
um, bike handling skills, which obviously we've seen over the years he's extremely good at. Uh, He can really handle himself on a bike. He can do some amazing things on two wheels and one wheel, as we've seen him plenty of times wheeling up a hill or across the line or whatever. Um, And yeah, so he he really grounded himself early in those those skills uh, off-road before he began on the road. And uh, his first nickname as a rider was Terminator, actually because he kept ripping up bikes. Uh, But he'd soon have other nicknames, as we'd soon find out. And he turned pro in 2010. Was it success straight away? Yes, it was. He joined the Italian team Liquigas Doimo, who would later become the Cannondale team. And he became the youngest rider to ever win a pro race that year at just 20 years old. So it was clear that he was already destined for big things. And lots of comparisons to Eddie Merckx early on in his career. And he had to kind of choose a few of those down. But but why why was that? Presumably, probably because he just won a lot um, and had, you know, he could win on so many different levels um, and different surfaces and different types of races. And he was versatile, as we'll come to, to discuss throughout the episode. But yeah, so I think the fact that he was always there, I guess, a bit of a Duracell bunny was Peter Sagan. Well, Katie, I'm just on his website at the moment. Uh, can you guess what the main colour theme is on petersagan.com? It is. It's, it's, apparently the human eye can see more shades of green than any other colour and there's uh, at least two or three that I can see here. Uh, he's even got his own monogram at the top, uh, which kind of looks a bit odd. But yes, I'm, I'm actually on his um, list of achievements and if I scroll down to the bottom, it says 2010, uh, Harry Nice in the points jersey in two stages. Coming now is Joaquin Rodriguez. He's got Peter Zagan in it, but Zagan's going to go past him, surely. Nicholas Roach hasn't got the legs to come back in and has he? Peter Zagan takes victory from Joaquin Rodriguez, Nicholas Roach, Jens Vogt, Tony Martin, Alberto Contador. Kreutzinger, who came in here with hopes for the overall, and he's got young Peter Zagan, who's just stealing his thunder at every turn, Sean. Yes, and uh, you know he was uh, very impressive there. But uh, it's a situation when you have a teammate up, uh, you have to play, you know, the team tactic game, and uh, that's what Kreutzinger had to do. And uh, you know Zagan uh, definitely, uh, you know, uh, very, very uh, to the fore there. When Roach went to the attack, he was the one who reacted immediately. But actually, it was the Tour de France where he first kind of came to prominence. Uh, And that green is because of the green jersey that he won a record number of times. Um, And overall, he he showed a lot of potential first there, right? Yeah, it's quite surprising, really. Normally, you'd see a rider sort of rising up through the ranks and, and building their form and maybe not even going to the Tour de France until they'd been a pro for a few years. He had been a pro for a couple of years, um, but he made his Tour de France debut and instead of just gently easing into life at the Tour, um, because it's a huge step for for a young rider, he went ahead and won three stages uh, in 2012 and the green jersey that year. So pretty successful debut, you could say. Yeah, very successful indeed. And more on his uh, Tour de France exploits to come. Uh, But coming up, Peter Sagan and his great one-day rival, his ascent to world champion status and his wheelie interesting ways of finishing a bike race. Katie, I seem to have watched a lot of videos that have Peter Sagan crossing the line in interesting ways. He, he was a bit of a showman, to say the least, wasn't he? 
Absolutely. I think that was one of the reasons why he had so many fans and he was so popular um, because he just was different. He he didn't mind showing off. He didn't mind doing something a little bit unique. And yes, there were wheelies and there were like little dance moves and on the bike and off the bike, though. So he's, I don't know if you've seen the video of him doing the Grease song with his wife. They did You're the One That I Want. <laughs> He was a character, still is a character. His inter- his post-race interviews were sort of famously quite hilarious and his podium celebrations and, you know, just wheeling up, up mountains in the Gruppetto at the tour and just all manner of, of crazy antics, which, which made him very easy to love. Yeah, uh, I went to the, uh, as, as you know, uh, I was at the Tour de France Grand Depart when it was in the UK in 2014. And although I was there watching Froome and Nibley and all the rest of them, uh, I hadn't quite grasped, because I'd never been to, to such a big bike race like this, that like by the time you got to the ones at the back in the Grappetto, they were kind of just happy just to you know get along. I was at the top of um, the Coat, the Jenkin Road, it's a really difficult climb. Um, and they were pretty chilled and like waving to the crowd and stuff. And uh, yeah, I imagine Sagan really played up to that. Definitely. I think we've there's a friend of mine called Oliver, Oliver Jones on Twitter, and he and I have been calling for a Gruppetto cam at the tour and other big races because they have so much fun. I mean, they don't have fun. Let's put it this way. It's extremely hard for those guys to get over those mountains and make the time cut. But at the same time, they do entertain the crowds along the way when they can. And I think it would be brilliant to have a camera on them and to have had a camera at the time that, that Sagan was riding up and down those mountains and, you know, pulling off some some tricks and so on would have been really fun. Yeah, and just to explain to us, I know Sagan wasn't too often in the Grappetto, but those who are, it's not that they are really bad, it's that they are a spent from doing earlier work for the team and a kind of just getting getting through the rest of it yeah sort of partially but it's also the sprinters um guys that are going for the points jersey guys that are going for sprint finishes they're not built for life in in the big mountains the alps and the pyrenees so you've got your gc guys and your climbers up at the front of the race working for gc working for the stage wins the sprinters just hang out at the back and try to make sure they make the finish within the time cut so they can carry on and that was one of the reasons why Sagan was so great was because he was actually quite a good climber a very good climber in fact I'm underselling him um, whereas a lot of the, the bigger sprinters struggle to get over the mountains they really need their teams around them to pull them through um, Sagan had an amazing amazing ability actually to climb which is kind of uh, not characteristic really of, of a sprinter which is what made him one of the reasons that made him so versatile and what about the on the line celebrations? Because, you know, from a from a fan perspective, I think they're all great. But I wonder if you're the guys in the background in slightly soft focus and you're there straining and there's a guy doing a Forrest Gump running impression. I don't know how that would have gone down for them. Uh, well, I think that they won him a lot of fans. I think among the fandom, definitely, he was hugely popular. My mom always said, life was like box of chocolate. You never know what you are going to get. I think maybe on the media side, he was probably a bit frustrating at times, um, getting a straight answer out of him. 
I don't think was meant to be all that easy. What was the meaning of your uh, finishing gesture? Yeah, I drink this uh, for uh, take energy. Uh, uh, you know that? No. It's from the Volvo Wall Street. As well as Grand Tour racing, his real skill came apparent in one-day racing, didn't it? Yeah, so it turned out that Sagan was equally talented at one-day racing as he was at stage racing um, and sprinting and that kind of thing. So so obviously after 2012 and doing so well at the Tour, um, he rode the Classics the next year and it turned out that he, well, he rode toe-to-toe with Fabian Cancellara for a while at the Tour of Flanders, which is, you know... To ride alongside a legend like that, who was obviously a time-trialling legend, but also a, a classic specialist as well. And it was pretty incredible, yeah. So the two of them rode toe-to-toe for some time during the race um, until Cancellara managed to drop him on the Paterberg and, and won about a minute and a half ahead exactly, of him. Yeah. Hold your breath, folks. Here we go. If you haven't finished your cup of tea or you're left yet, this is the time to do it. Sargon is having to get out of the saddle to keep going here. Jürgen Rollins is beginning to suffer. He's going to lose the wheel. Bang! Gone is Jürgen Rollins. Well ridden by Cancellara and Sargon. It's going to put some daylight between them as he's Sargon is suffering. Sargon is suffering, but he's going to make it to the top. Who knows? Cancellara is giving it everything. He knows he's got to kill off the Slovaks. He's doing it. Cancellara goes over the top. Now he's going to get into time trial mode. Sprints out of the saddle and he's going to get the hands on the drops whenever he can. Only one way to get rid of Peter Sargon and that's literally to kill him. Get there. Stick the knife in. And then they reprised their uh, rivalry again three years later in 2016. And that was Fabian Cancellara's final Tour of Flanders. It was his retirement year um, and he wanted to win it one last time. Uh, but Sagan was there to upset the party and he took his Tour of Flanders victory, the only one in his Palmares, but a very good one um, that year, 2016. Peter Sagan is going to do it. Leads the UCI World Tour rankings. He is the world champion. Sagan attacking well before the finish line, taking riders with him, dispensing of those on the climbs, showing on the Paterberg that when Cancellara was just a, a few bite lengths behind, he still had what it took to go out and take the win. And he's here, time trialing away, riding for his life against one of the greatest time trialists that we've ever seen in Fabian Cancellara. A man who's won two races against the clock just this season. It's the power of the rainbow jersey. It's the power of Sagan. The Slovakian flag flies with 400 metres to go. And he is going to be the first ever Slovakian winner of a monument. 18 attempts at doing this. And finally Sagan is there. He showed that he has both passion and ambition. The world champion will be forever remembered as the 100th winner of the Ronde van Vlaanderen, the Tour of Flanders. It's the 100th edition. He's there. The rainbow jersey on show. Peter Sagan makes it a fairy tale edition of the Ronde van Vlaanderen. And after six hours, ten minutes, that is quite a show for the greatest showman that cycling has in the modern era. Peter Sagan, the winner 
of Doronova of Vlaanderen. Heartbreak though for Fabian Cancellara. It will not be the greatest goodbye for one of the greatest of the riders. And I think Cancellara is going to come in in second place. No sprint in the end. Cancellara wave goodbye. A great ride from him. Second place to one of the best the sport's ever seen. So Tour de Flanders, and, and by then, and I'm still scrolling down uh, petersagan.com, and if I go back from uh, 2016, that Tour of Flanders results, he had already won stages at the Tour de France. Even going back to 2011, he'd, by, by then he'd got three stages at the Welter. So overall, the world well and truly knows who he, do, who he is. And actually, if we rewind a little bit, he had already managed to get the rainbow bands, something he managed to do an unprecedented three times in a row, Katie. So uh, let's go through all of this, shall we? Uh, because um, Sagan was the man. He sure was, yeah. So obviously after storming onto the scene at the, at the tour and making a really good impression at, at the Ronde van Vlaanderen uh, in 2013, he then, he, I mean, to say he went off the boil would be a bit unfair because by any other rider's standards he was still achieving extremely highly so he didn't win any tour stages in 2014 but he still won the green jersey uh, and he left the Cannondale team then for Tinkoff Saxo Um, and they had an interesting there was an interesting kind of couple of years of his career where he and Oleg Tinkoff who owned the team did not see eye to eye and Tinkoff put him under a great deal of pressure because he was paying him a lot of money Um, he was the great white hope of of men cycling at the time and yeah he he expected results so going into 2015 um he had a difficult year that year uh he did win the green jersey again but he didn't win any stages and that's what Tinkoff really wanted from him he came second on five stages so that's you know his reputation as sort of coming in second uh is is quite unprecedented really Wout van Aert's having a bit of the same experience I think at the moment just thinking that through it does seem quite mad that you could win the green jersey not win any races but come second so many times I mean it 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 seems like there must have been a lot of pressure on him uh and this was a a billionaire owner in Tinkoff as well wasn't it yeah exactly a huge amount of pressure he still managed to win green but through his amazing consistency and his resilience like he he kind of bounced back from pressure like no one else um, but he did struggle at the Vuelta that year. He got hit by a motorbike um, and was, you know, he was considering retirement at that point. Uh, he was only 25 and he'd had such a tough year and was was kind of burnt out, I think, mentally. And had that was the final straw, I think, that motorbike incident, which you can understand. Um, you know, it's it's not it's certainly not ideal. And it's not just the him getting hit by the motorbike. He then he then kicks the motorbike himself. It wasn't like, you know. We we see riders have these unfortunate instances, incidents, and to lose his rag in the way he did, it kind of really underlines just how frustrating he must have been. Yeah, for sure. I think that it just, yeah, like I say, it was like a, you know, the tipping point um, in terms of him having to think about what he really wanted and consider his future in the sport. But before the end of that year, he had worlds, um, and obviously that's a huge target for for all riders and. It traditionally takes place in September, so all the Grand Tours are done with. It's one last big shot and and, and you go all out. Yeah, he won. He won Rainbow Bands for the first time. And it was like, um, 
I guess, redemption for him after a really difficult time. They're all over the road behind him. Can he hold on for this? This will be a magnificent victory. We've not seen him all day. He's waiting for that final moment to make the acceleration. Sargon looking for the last little bit of energy to come out of his body. The main field behind there, zigzagging, trying to get themselves over that gap to Peter Sagan. But this is one of the most prolific winners on the international circuit here. He rides for the Slovakian team. He's the national champion in the time trial in the road race as Peter Sagan just waits for that line to come up he's going to do it here this afternoon peter sagan looks whack one more time to confirm that yes i am the champion of the world so 2015 he's the reigning world champion he wins two stages at tour de suisse into 2016 uh tour de california again he gets the green jersey at the Tour de France, and this time wins three stages. So things are getting better. Tour of Flanders, uh, European road champion. Things are going really well. Back to the world again. Can he do it a second time? Yeah, he absolutely can. He even won the he he won the Euros. He even went to the Olympic mountain biking in Rio that year, actually, and possibly could have come away with a medal if he hadn't had a puncture. He was in a really good position after the first lap, so he was just everywhere in 2016. That was his year. He was he had diamonds in the legs, um, as as they say, and everything was going well. And yeah, they went to Qatar that year, so it was a big desert race. Um, and one of the major sort of hazards, I guess, uh, or, or obstacles in the desert. Well, there aren't many physical obstacles because it's very flat, but because it's so open, you get a lot of winds. And when you get winds from the side, it's called crosswinds. Um, obviously, cycling fans will know this. For those that are less familiar um, won't know that when the crosswinds hit the peloton. They have to. They they end up forming echelons, which are like diagonal lines, I guess, of riders where they they try. They each try and shield themselves from the wind by tucking in next to the rider in front of them, and it forms a kind of diagonal line. And it's a great way for riders to attack one another, for teams with numbers to push on, um, because you really need strength in numbers to be able to survive in an echelon. So that's what Team GB and the team from Belgium did that year. And they managed to make uh, to to split the peloton and, and break it to pieces. Um, and Sagan obviously doesn't have many teammates because he's from Slovakia, which is one of the less well represented teams at Worlds. He tagged onto the back of the echelon formed by GB in Belgium, and was able to stay with them. And he stormed through at the end and beat the likes of Cavendish and and, and everyone else, the sprinters that were going for it, and got his second in a row. And yeah, uh, a, a great finish by the end. Of course, the all-out when it's when it's a bunch sprint. I mean, it, it, it's some doing, and it kind of really underlines just just how great he was. I don't know if by now he's got the nickname Peter the Great. But that is definitely coming by the time we get to 2017 uh, because by then he has uh, a few stage wins at some big stages, including one at the Tour de France. And eventually we're back again at the Worlds. Yes, but actually, Sunny, before we talk Worlds and, and the three-peat and the hat-trick, um, let's go back a little bit, uh, because he signed for Bora Hansgrohe in 2017, actually. So moved away from that sort of slightly toxic relationship with Tinkov and hopefully, you know, 
um, new new opportunities at Bora. But it didn't go so well at the Tour de France that year. Um, on stage four, he was actually disqualified uh, because he he crashed Mark Cavendish into the barriers um, and the organisers deemed it a well a bad enough offence that they disqualified from him from the whole race. So that was obviously a big, uh, a big blow to his season. But yeah, then he came back at Worlds again and yes, he did the hat trick. So at that point, only five riders had had the opportunity in the past to win three Worlds consecutively and none had managed to do it. He was the first and remains the only rider to ever have achieved that feat. So what happened? Where was it? How did he do it? Yeah, so it was in Bergen in Norway. Uh, it was a race where Sagan was able to basically kind of have his own way and, and kind of control things a little bit. And he wanted a sprint uh, and he got himself oh, We haven't seen Peter Sagan all day. You only have to see him at the line, I guess. And everyone else around him is starting to chug at the moment. And here we go. Big kicker. And it's time to do the business. It's an out and out sprint for the line. Matthias is involved. So is Christoph here. Where's Peter Sagan? We've asked the question so many times. And here he comes. Is he going to make it three? Sagan is Christoph at the line. Who's going to get there first? Oh, I don't know. I do not know. It's a split finish here. We're going to have to wait. What a remarkable finish that was. So he sprinted up against the home hope, Alexander Kristoff, who he beat uh, in the sprint. And Michael Matthews, one of his longtime rivals for both for the green jersey and in various bunch sprints, uh, who came third that year. But yeah, it was a big sprint at the end in that one. And he managed to do it. Yeah, pretty impressive stuff. So by now, Katie, he is a three-time world champion. What does the lay of the land look like for him? Was was this his peak? I think you might argue that maybe 2016 was his peak purely because of the number of wins and, and the manner in which he won. Um, but yeah, 2017, he, he kind of kept the level pretty high. If it wasn't for that disqualification at the Tour, it could have been more of a sustained peak, really. But yeah, it was still a great year, obviously, um, maintaining that, that run in rainbow rainbow bands um and thinking about one days uh, and monuments parry roubaix he took that uh, and again went to the tour won the green jersey and got three stages so uh, he, he's really getting there i mean where 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 does the tour de france sit for sagan overall i mean it's really hard to say because he's achieved so much in his career um but Surely his green jerseys at the Tour is something that... It's an achievement that isn't going to be repeated, I don't think. I mean, it's really hard to imagine. Sagan goes into the centre of the road. Here he goes, Sagan. Sagan coming all the way to the line. Is he going to make it all the way home? Oh, it's going to be a lunge at it. 94 metres. He's still got the grind. He's got the power. Has he got the belief? Of course he has. He's a world champion. And he also is dominating this green jersey competition yet again. Sagan, it's his era, it seems. Another page turned in a history of greatness. Especially with the strength and depth of of sprinting and the fact that sprinters these days, maybe because of him, or at least inspired by him, have become more versatile, then it's not... You don't get as many pure sprinters anymore. It's, there's riders who can climb a bit, they can do cobbles, riders coming through like Arno de Lee, Jasper Philipser, Olaf Coy... Um, these guys can do a bit of everything. And obviously Wout van Aert is, is like the king of those guys who can really pretty much do it all. And I think that Sagan was one of the first to be able to really 
you know, you, you, you've had a few riders throughout history that have been able to do that. Um, but it's becoming much more commonplace now. And I think that Sagan kind of revolutionised that, that style of riding, really. You're listening to On Your Bike. Up next, the winding down of Sagan. Could anything have stopped it? And we'll be seeing him at the Paris Olympics for Slovakia in mountain biking. But will we see anyone like him again in the world of road racing? Katie, other than the deep brown eyes and long flowing locks, why do people love Peter Sagan so much? I think it was because he was one of a kind. Um, certainly at the time, he was one of a kind. I think he was a breath of fresh air. He shook up the peloton. He broke the kind of, he broke the mold in a lot of ways because he broke the pure sprinter mold, as I just mentioned before. He being able to do all different things. And he kind of broke out of the accepted hierarchy. Of, you know, this is this is how we do things. He he start he attacked early and did things differently. And obviously, he was a maverick in the way he behaved. Um, and he had a lot of fun, and he didn't take himself too seriously. But also, amongst that, he was he was a fearless rider. He was tactically extremely astute. Um, he had you know great strategy, and and yeah, he just kind of was able to do 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 a bit of everything really and I think people just really loved that and really warmed to it. I wonder if that maverick style is why he was able to be so successful at the world knowing that he kind of didn't really have anyone to back him up and he had to just kind of do it alone and see what he could do uh, but going into 2019 by the way we, we've come up to 2018 and, and he's still had success um, he's still Although his uh, pompetersagan.com still on the website, by the way, uh, he's had got a got a stage win at the Santos Tour Down Under, uh, again at the Tour of California, Tour de Suisse, but he does again take the green jersey and one stage at the Tour de France. So you know, even though I said a, a winding down, even here where his 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 results aren't as big as they were, he still did well on the tour. Yeah, definitely. I think I don't even think that he would have seen it as a winding down necessarily. I think it it was after COVID when it seemed to maybe fall off the fall off a bit his form. But yeah, he still won the points jersey that year, um, and yeah, still had some great results. So I don't know if this is a fair question, really, because he's nineteenth if you look up on the all time list of winners, one hundred twenty one wins overall. Did it go wrong? For Sagan, is that a fair thing to say? And if so, where did it go wrong for him to end up at a pro team like Total Energies to end his career? I think 2020 was a turning point, um, as it was for everybody, really, with COVID. <clears throat> he actually had COVID and suffered from it. And he seemed to struggle to hit the same heights when he came back from that. Um, but he still had some great results in 2020. He was second in the points classification at the Giro and the Tour that year. So, you know, not too shabby, really. He won a stage at the Giro and got some more second places, as he does. He came fourth in Milan-San Romo two seasons running, which, you know, it's coming anywhere in Milan-San Romo is, is quite, quite a challenge. And he did have a few wins in 2021, although he did once again fail to make an impact at the Tour that year. And it was just after the Tour that year that Bora announced he would be leaving. And he moved on to Total Energies. Um, I, I suppose the worrying thing for Slovakian cycling fans is, I don't know who else is coming through, because even in 2020, he was still the national 
uh, champion. And 2021, he took the the Tour de uh, Slovakia title as well. So I don't know who else is coming through, but he is one of quite a few riders retiring. And I know, you know, there are so many, of course, every year we're going to say goodbye to somebody. But it almost feels like, a, a, you know, and I know a lot of people have said this, a kind of a changing of the guard of uh, in, in the world of cycling. And we know Sagan was unique. Um, why do you think so many are kind of calling it a day now? And do you think we'll see another Sagan? Well, there's two questions in there, which are both really good questions. In terms of retirements, um, we've actually got a few less this year than we've had over the last couple of years. But it seems as though this year there have been some really significant names on that list. Names like Thibaut Pino, uh, Greg Van Avermaet, um, really significant riders, you know, riders that have been having an impact for quite some time. And yeah, I think, I don't know, 2020 was just such, it was such a pivotal year. And I think everybody came back from the from the pandemic and it just seemed as though racing changed overnight or over a pandemic, which is not really a night. It was quite a long time. <laughs> um, but there was young riders throwing themselves into races, people racing as though it was like, you know, it was literally the end of the world and this might be their last race. And and that that kind of vibe has 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 clung to the peloton ever since really and I think that a lot of the older guys have just decided enough's enough and so I think a big spate of retirements over the last few seasons of of big name riders has has signaled a change in the guard for sure and will we see another Sagan um great question and on that by the way Jonas Vinigo really struggles to ride without holding onto the handlebars so he's definitely not going to be the next Sagan I know that much. <laughs> Yeah, he's as opposed to Tadej Pogacar, who posted a clip of himself riding on a unicycle last <laughs> week. So, <laughs> I think actually Pogacar is much more aligned with Sagan in terms of kind of personality and maverick style. And actually, you know, he's also a really good one day rider as well as Grand Tour rider, but he's more of a GC than a points rider. So in terms of vibes, I feel like he's more similar. But in terms of actual skill like the names that I mentioned before um you know could be seen as as potential successes I think Arno de Lee would be my pick for someone who'd be the closest match in terms of one day skill sprinting skill and just all-round resilience and kind of bounce back ability you know so yeah maybe but I think because of the broad range of riders coming through who can do a bit of everything I don't think that anyone will stand out as clearly as Sagan did at the time he was just so different to everyone else at the time it's a bit of a weird one because uh I do wonder when we see so it's always on social media isn't it you know we saw Tadej Pogacar riding that unicycle on social media and then there's you know we'll see other stuff from riders and you think how much is this you and how much are you just you know doing it for the for the online clout but obviously when Sagan was doing all the stuff he was doing it was just because it was him I mean do you feel genuinely riders are have the freedom to actually have that personality that Sagan really kind of showed on and off the bike mm, good question I don't know. I think it often depends on team. I think some teams have a much stricter line about their social media than others. And I do think we do see some personalities bursting out regardless of team policies like Pogaccio, people like him, um, who just seem to be exuberant all the time. And then we've got quieter personalities, which is also, you know, equally valid and should be totally respected. I think Sagan had possibly more more run of... 
uh, more freedom, I guess, to express himself because it wasn't such a controlled media environment because social media was in a different phase, I guess, at that time. Overall, how do we sum him up? Do we think maybe he should have won some more monuments and one days or does the small matter of three time three in a row world champion uh, status and a record number of Tour de France green jerseys kind of put him into that top tier <laughs> and don't forget the only rider to ever have won the points jersey at all three grand tours ah there you go just, to, just, to, you know, just, just throw, throw that one mix. in yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean maybe he could have won more one day races but the odds are so it's, one day racing is 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 the luck of the draw uh, in some ways. It's really you've got to get a lot of luck, and he was a very lucky rider. He didn't crash much because of his great bike handling that we mentioned earlier. But I think that you know there's absolutely no doubt that he has legend status for for his achievements in my eyes. Interesting. So you you make your own luck is what you're really saying there. Uh, I'm, I'm, well, yeah, I think there is an argument to be had there with his bike handling, all that mountain bike skills. Uh, yeah, I mean, it makes me actually think a little bit differently about about how luck kind of works uh, in racing. But anyway, we have just about run out of time here on On Your Bike, so it's probably time for us to say uh, goodbye. Katie, that has been a fascinating insight into Sagan. If you want more from Katie on a range of cycling topics and from a range of uh, writers as well, go to writebikerepeat.com. We would also really appreciate you giving us um, a review on whatever you get your podcasts. Uh, that'd be really helpful. And if you haven't already, I know we're about roughly 80% of you do. We haven't just clicked subscribe. That actually makes a difference because we were in the charts, actually, which is, which is really good to see. Uh, but about time for me to stop hustling and say goodbye. So I've been Sandy Rodrivagela. And I've been Katie Magic. And this has been On Your Bike. We'll see you next time. On Your Bike is a Sandpod production.